Hello to you all, it's Molly here. Welcome to this week's episode of In Fairness Inquire, Roscommon Artists, a special series of our podcast which is dedicated to interviewing astounding creative artists that are based here at home in Roscommon. In these interviews, we're going to be talking to actors, theatre makers, drama facilitators, comedians, writers, directors, poets, producers, a dancer and a weaver. We're going to be discussing how they started in their profession, obstacles they have faced along the way, how they've been impacted by the pandemic, the importance of creativity in their lives, their influences, how they stay motivated to keep creating and most importantly, how you, the listener, can support their work. We want to make audiences all around the world aware of the constant stream of Roscommon-based creative work. And we also hope this series might encourage some of you to support local art, recognise its necessity and maybe even pursue some creative endeavours of your own. This series comes to you thanks to the generous support of Roscommon County Council, who have kindly commissioned this series and endorsed us with the necessary equipment and software to record the interviews safely and remotely during the summer of 2021. Frances Crowe is originally from Waterford and studied fine art at NCAD, where she discovered her main craft, tapestry weaving. This unique medium includes weaving materials like wool or silk through a vertical warp of light cotton on a loom. The craft is so unique that one must go to a private school, such as Frances's studio in Grange, to learn it as it isn't widely taught in art colleges. Frances came to Roscommon after taking a leap of faith and responding to an ad for the Strokestown Craft Centre, leaving behind a pensionable teaching job in Ballyfermot. Tapestry weaving is a slow and intricate process, and Frances paradoxically describes herself as a busy and fast-paced person who likes quick results. However, the weaving can bring about a meditative state of mind that comes from the intense focus and methodical approach to the craft. Frances is mainly inspired by current events she hears about on the news and by the long walks she takes around the countryside she lives in. She writes, draws, thinks and follows a structured plan to build the foundation of her next tapestry, including building the loom and the warp on which it is to be made. Once the colour plan is made, the size and scale is decided and the painting is set up behind the warp, then she can begin weaving. Frances talks to us about the material she uses, how she blends threads together to get the tone she's looking for and how she used to spin her own wool from scratch using onion skins and berries to dye it. She now teaches this to her students, describing the wool's journey from the lamb to a piece of clothing like a scarf. Frances describes an awakening she had in 2015 when she started hearing more about the Syrian war. She made the decision then to create strong statements in her work that would provoke something in the viewer to question the world around them. This marks the beginning of her new work, Displaced, a commentary on leaving home and travelling to safety. Frances worked with Syrian families in the Direct Provision Centre in Balladrine, teaching them to weave and learning about this, their stories of how they got to Ireland. These, along with the story about a Roscommon family who left for Toronto during the Great Famine, were the inspiration behind Displaced, along with weaving techniques such as ghosting, in which some of the characters travelling across the tapestry are faceless as they search for a new home. Frances talks us through her other works and the fascinating process of their creation, as well as the International Fibre Arts Festival she set up in Roscommon in 2016. This was to create a hub for weavers like herself, as their craft would not be as commonplace in mainstream galleries as one would expect. Frances has travelled around the world to meet other like-minded artists and continuously strives to make her work fresh, exciting and personal. This is a gorgeous, wholesome chat with one of Roscommon's finest artists, Francis Crow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Francis, for imparting your wisdom. And we'll catch you at the end of the interview for a few more updates. Enjoy. Welcome to this episode in our new series. Today we are interviewing Francis Crow. How are things? All good here. Thanks very much, Molly. Thank you for coming and seeing us on Zoom. <laughs> Thanks, Misha. So, Francis, I suppose we'll begin by asking you, how did you get into weaving? 
where is the journey? How, what was it like for you going from Roscommon to Dublin and discovering this new medium? Well, um, I didn't come from Roscommon to Dublin. I'm from Waterford. Oh, apologies. You're from Waterford. That's <laughs> right. You're just such a famous Roscommon name that I, I, I assumed oh, no. you were from. Uh, no, I was born in Waterford and I went to art college for two years after leaving cert in Waterford. And then I applied to the National College of Art and Design. So that's back in the late 70s. Um, I was painting then, so I was in the School of Fine Art, painting and drawing. And um, the weaving thing happened almost by accident, I guess. In those days, you weren't really allowed to move freely from one department to the other, you know, and there was this hierarchy, silliness going on in the National College of Art then, that if you were a painter, you couldn't use any other medium. But I always did some collage style works where I stuck material onto the paintings. And then um, I was really influenced by a young artist uh, called Teresa McKenna, who had just returned to the National College of Art and Design from Edinburgh, where she did her master's in weaving. But not loom weaving. There were these big monumental sculptural pieces using rope. And I thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. So then I sneaked into the weaving department, unknowns to my professor, and began to take classes there and learned some basic things about weaving. It's very easy and very simple. It's just a case of having a, a vertical warp and weaving stuff in and out through it. So back then I was also uh, influenced by that girl I mentioned, Teresa, and I used a lot of rope and materials too. So that's kind of how it started. My favourite subject, talking about my work. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, where am I? Yeah, then. So then I decided I'd do the teaching uh, degree. And in that, you had to do two crafts. So that got me started on um, learning a bit more about weaving. Yeah, so that was great then. I, I did do um, the teaching degree. And um, so you have to do two crafts in that for teaching students. So I chose weaving and pottery then. So I did have a year of uh, immersement in weaving, in the weaving department. So then um, I, when I left the college, I was teaching in Ballyfermot in Dublin for um, four years. And then I think we saw an ad for the Strokestown Craft Centre and just upped and left. So I just walked away from a full-time permanent pensionable job. And wow. moved to Strokestown, having never been in Roscommon in my life before. So that was a big, massive move and a big risk to take. But, you know, I wasn't thinking about risks back in 1980. So we came here. That's how we landed in Roscommon. Wow. Lovely. I love what you were saying there about how back then there was almost a puritism in an artist choosing their medium. Mm. And are things different now? Well, yeah, things are different now. And one of the most depressing things of all is none of the art colleges have weaving departments anymore. So, yeah, if somebody wanted to learn to weave, they would have to go to like, um, not an art college, but, you know, uh, what would you call it? Like there's a place in Grenon Mill where you can learn crafts and you could learn weaving there. So there are very few places teaching weaving like I do it, which is called tapestry weaving. That mm. is the art of making a picture in wool, basically. So like a loom weave would be you work from right to left with the shuttle over and back, over and back. But what I do is called discontinuous lines. It's all small little sections that you're building up the image. So uh, that's a very difficult thing to learn and it's not been taught anywhere much in Ireland except privately. So I would teach that here in my studio and other artists do as well, other weavers do. And do you have an advantage that your medium is almost more unique in that sense, in that it's so it's a bit more difficult to find a centre where you can learn that craft? Yeah, that's true, that's true. It is unique. You see, it's so slow. I, I call it slow art in the age of quick because very few people would put the amount of time into making uh, one single piece of work, you know. So 
like the process of making itself is so long too. You have to think of an idea, make a design, make a few drawing sketches, enlarge it up, and then spend months weaving it. So you think, what the hell am I doing here day after day after day when nobody really understands the medium or seems to even want it, but I still keep doing it. That's the weird thing about it. That's amazing because me and Misha, we were talking about you yesterday evening and we were talking about... All good things, all good things. (laughs) All good things. We were talking about the tediousness, Mm. tediousnessnessness of the the art that you do. And maybe it's because we're Generation Z, we've been brought up with the internet, we're used to instant gratification. But would you say you have a certain personality trait that allows you to persevere through that tediousness? And if that's the case how would you describe that yeah it it is a weird one especially for my family and people who know me because I'm a very buzzy fast acting person and Mm. yet I can sit for hours (laughs) on my own in here in my studio just doing those lifting warp threads putting the weft thread in and slowly slowly building on it I don't know why that is. I really don't. I think it's kind of half therapy, if anything. It's like that little bit of isolation and um, there's a strangeness where you become totally immersed in the work and the world just leaves you completely. It's meditative. Yeah. And I probably need that, really. Gorgeous. That's really lovely. Um, And how would you describe the process from the concept to the finished product yeah but that that, what what does that look like that's the bit that I love most it's not the finished work um really to be honest um it's it's the when I when I'm thinking about something to do that's happening in the world and you're seeing it on tv and reading about it in newspapers it seems to just get inside my head something that would worry or concern me about what's happening in the world and um, I walk a lot I, I would walk for over an hour every day just around the roads here in the countryside and that's my thinking time so when I come back from the walk I usually have something to put on paper either written or drawn and that's kind of like a starting point then for me and that just gets into my brain and I can't let it go until I have fully resolved whatever the issue is that I was thinking about. So it usually starts with drawing, writing, drawing, thinking. And then um, I'll do some color studies, some either painting or colored pencils or collage work based on that theme that I'm thinking about that at that moment. And then um, I'll decide on a size and a scale and then I have to enlarge the drawing or the design up to that scale. So the next bit of the process then is um, winding on a warp. So the warp are the, is the structure in the middle of the weaving. It's, it's, I use cotton thread for that, it's very strong. And you wind that around a huge big frame. I have frames all different sizes here. Um, and then the next stage is attaching the cartoon to the back of the warp and then the weaving process starts. So the work I'm doing at the moment that's behind me in the studio, I don't know if you can see it on the frame there, um, is the Love and the Pandemic piece. You can see it behind the chair. Um, I've been working on that now for um, March, April, May, four months. And it's about halfway through. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that's so crazy, isn't it? When when I have the design and some people would just be happy with the design hanging on their wall. I have a huge big painting behind it that I did. But now I'm weaving it as well. And do you like weave over the painting if you have the painting behind it? Do you like weave over the painting? I, I do, yeah. I weave in front of the painting. So okay. that gives me my shape, you know. It tells me where I need to stop one colour and start a new one. It just Mm. comes naturally to me now. It's very hard to explain it or even to teach it because I know what to do. My hands and brain know (laughs) what to do, you know. It's that uh, memory muscle thing I have built up over all these years, I guess. 
That's a good sign, though, because you hear a lot of artists saying in lots of different areas that art is something to be done, not to be talked about. So it yeah. can feel a bit strange coming onto an interview and suddenly having to walk someone through your process. But yeah. No, it's it's gorgeous. And can you talk to us a bit about the materials you use? Yeah, sure. Um, so I mentioned the cotton warp, uh, which is the basic structure inside the weaving that goes on first. And then the weft threads that I use now are usually um, silk or wool, mainly wool, because wool has um, like, um, what would I call it, a dull, not a dull look, but there's no shine off of it like silk. And sometimes that's the effect I'm looking for. So at the moment I use very fine threads and I blend them together to get the shade or the tone of colour that I'm looking for. Um, in the past, I've used a lot of other materials. You know, I have had farmers dropping off whole fleeces at the door here. I could come out someday and find five fleeces sitting there. I, I don't want any fleeces, thanks very much, if anybody <laughs> couldn't have sent me any. Because that means then I have to sort them, card them, spin them. And the process of weaving is so slow already. Having mm -hmm. to make your own yarn and wool adds another year to making a piece. So no, I don't spin anymore. I don't spin mm -hmm. my own wool anymore. But I have in the past. I have spun wool and dyed it using natural dyes. So I'd have onion skins and berries and lichens to make the colours that I need. Great. These are all things I have taught in schools as well, you know, in community or school-based projects that I've done. So it intrigues children to see a lamb in the field and then a piece of coloured uh, wool to make uh, a scarf out of, for example. Yeah. Um, Francis, you talked there about how a theme can sort of manifest in your mind when you're out for a walk and you say that sometimes you're inspired by what you might see on the news or something that you are reading. And I notice on your website that you describe yourself as someone who's driven by humanitarian issues. Would you be able to talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's like I had, uh, it sounds weird, but I'll say it anyway, an awakening in around 2015 or so. And I, because what I do is so slow, I felt I needed to be making a statement in my work. And at that time, the Syrian um, war was on, had started. And I was researching that and following what was going on and how this beautiful country was being destroyed. People had to leave their homes and so on. And that, I just made a decision. I literally made a decision overnight that from now on I was going to weave about things that were happening in the world to do with how people were displaced or separated from family or something that happened to them that hurt them deeply. And what I was trying to do was reach to the viewer, to have an emotional response from a viewer to my work, not just a pretty picture. I, I don't want to do that anymore. So I need to just the work to be able to make a statement about, usually a political statement, in fact, even though I'm not political at all, really. So then um, in 2016, um, I think it was 2016, yeah, I got, I, the Syrian refugees came to Balahadreen, um, a refugee centre opened there, and I had an opportunity to work with the women in that centre. So I used to go over on a Wednesday, I think it was, and um, I taught them how to weave. And we, I made some bonds, even though they spoke Arabic and had very little English. We were able to communicate, probably through the work, I guess. Um, and then one of the grandmother's grandsons uh, used to be the interpreter for me so I got very close to him so he was able to tell me about the women and their backstories and what had happened to them on their journeys from Syria and I mean it was just heartbreaking I was just traumatized really by it all so I made a piece called Displaced then I made a weaving it took a year to make and it um, is all about the journey that the Syrian refugees uh, went on from the time they had to leave their homes. And I was trying to relate it back to something that would be Roscommon based. So I did some research in the Family Museum in Strokestown and um, 
tried to find a family that had to do something similar to the family that I got to know from Syria. So I found a, a family called the Thai family who had to leave um, the Mahan estate in um, Chokchan back in 1847 and um, their journey from Strokestown along the Royal Canal, getting on the coffin ship, the deaths on the ship and the arrival in Toronto and Canada, in Ottawa. So I was trying to relate that family story to the modern day Syrians having to leave their home. So the work is really about um, just having to being displaced really, displaced from your land, your people, your soil, your loved ones, and the journey that it, it takes you on. So it, it really is that relationship between Ireland and uh, Syria that I was trying to bring across in that piece. That's fantastic, wow. Francis. Thank you for and sharing that with us. Yeah, gorgeous work, thank you. Um, I suppose this might be one of the annoying things about a podcast because it's purely audio and there's no visual and that can make things difficult when you're talking to an artist <laughs> about their visual work. But I'm wondering, could you describe some of the, I don't know if this is the correct term, I'm not an artist, but the perspective that you used in this um, tapestry displaced? Because I remember seeing on your YouTube, you talked about there was a certain line and when they crossed that mm. line, they were faceless or, or something like that. Yeah. I'm not saying it right. I wonder, could you talk about it? Yeah. Um, the. The piece measures one meter by three meters, so it's a long, narrow uh, narrative work. So I wanted to bring it all together with a line. So I wove a big, thick red line through the, the lower section of it. And um, I was using a, a type of weaving called ghosting. It's where you use one thread of the background and one thread of the foreground. So it looks like the image is is um, ghosted. It's lost, or it's you can see it, but it looks like a shadow. So I used that technique to make it look like as if, when the people were on their journey and walking, if they were ghosted behind the line, they didn't make it. They were lost, or they died, or whatever. And if they were outlined, that you could see them in the red line, they made it to the finished line they made it on their journey because a lot of people don't we have to recognize that yeah. you know um yeah <laughs> sorry is that explaining no no that's perfect um so you talk about that awakening mm. of suddenly feeling that you wanted to evoke an emotional reaction in the viewer and you simultaneously made that personal by drawing a connection between the refugee crisis in Syria to um, the famine in and how that affected Roscommon. Mm. So I'm wondering, when you're dealing with political issues, which you do a lot, are you actively seeking a personal link, either through yourself or through where you're from? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I am. Not all the time, but I thought in that case it was relevant because of the, something similar happening here in Ireland all those years ago. I mean, I didn't really fully understand the famine myself until I started uh, researching it and realised what exactly had happened, you know, because we weren't really taught it in school. And unless you want to figure it out, you have to do your own historical research on it. And the fact that we have the Famine Museum for Ireland here just five miles over the road from me, it was the ideal opportunity to research into that. There isn't always a connection to home as in, you know, me here in this studio. No, not necessarily, but there's always a connection to how I feel about something. Could you talk to us a bit about your piece, Torn Apart? Yeah. Uh, yes, of course. Um, I don't know if you know that I organised the International Fibre Arts Festival here in Roscommon. I set that up in 2016 and we had a fabulous exhibition in 2018 in King House and Boyle. The 2020 plans went astray uh, like everybody else's last year. So the 2022 plans are uh, starting up again, which I'll talk to you about later. So the torn apart piece I made for 2020 show which was never seen except online. So I have it here rolled up in my studio. 
Um, Torn Apart is about family separation. Again, the starting point for that was um, the horrendous situation on the Mexican border where little children were taken from their parents while they tried to get into the United States and uh, put in cages basically and were left there alone with young children minding babies and some of those children have never been reunited with their parents you know so these things really for some reason affect me I'm a grandmother now so I can just you know the feeling of losing a child uh, in that way is just awful so that was the starting point for making that piece it's about um being yeah family separation so the way i wove it it's a huge piece it's um gosh i, I off the top of my head i can't even say what it is but it's 1.5 meters high by um more than three meters wide and um i made it on a very large loom that I have here. Everything in this house is homemade by the way. So the loom is uh, a scaffold bar from um, a building site that my husband, Brilliant. God love him, I come up with these ideas and he has to help me make them. So okay. it's basically a huge big structure in my studio that I can take apart so it's not up at the moment because it's huge, it takes over. So I made it on that. And um, it means I have to go up along as I'm making it. So I could be sitting on top of the table, on top of a ladder, on top of something else. Um, I made one side of it on one side of the scaffold frame and the other on the other side of the scaffold frame. So part of the family were in this side and the other part were on the other side. Now, normally people, will, weavers, will cut the warp. I hope I haven't lost you now. No, I'm with you. You're, you're, you're. <laughs> I'm with you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and tidy up those ends, but I decided to leave them. So I, I displayed it on a cube. So the one part of the family was on one side of the cube, the other part of the family was on the other side of the cube, and the thin little warp threads were still connecting them, but they couldn't oh see goodness. each other. Um, Given the kind of oppression no. of it being torn apart, yeah, literally. exactly. Yeah. That that oh was the idea. It can be hung in a lot of different ways, but that's how I hung it for the exhibition, which um, we had tuned up with, um, connected in with Galway 2020. And this was going to grow our Fibre Art Festival in Roscommon and bring it to a whole new audience. That's why I wanted a really big, impressive piece. But <laughs> it didn't happen, you know. So yeah, we did hang the show because I'm very determined about things like that. But all we could do was film it then. We weren't, nobody was allowed in to see it. So the public did not ever see that piece. Uh, all I have are photographs of it and I have a little film on YouTube about the making of it. Mm. Uh, I hope I will get an opportunity to show it again somewhere. Um, so all the fibre art festivals around the world are starting to reopen now. So I will enter it into one of those um, exhibitions. Those exhibitions are curated and if your work is selected, it's a big deal, you know. So yeah. I will try and put that into one of the big shows somewhere else in the world later on. Dead right. And can you talk to us a little bit about the Fibre Art Festival that you set up in Roscommon? Yeah, sure. So I teamed up with a friend of mine called Joan Baxter. She's a very well-known Scottish weaver and uh, we're, we became good friends over the years. So I applied to Roscommon County Council and the Arts Office for funding towards an exhibition in 2016 and they very generously supported my idea. So Joan brought four weavers from Scotland and I got four weavers in Ireland and we put on an exhibition in Roscommon running alongside of the Roscommon Lamb Festival Brilliant. because of the connection to wool. Oh, yes. So the first yeah. exhibition was in 2016 in the core. You know where that is? It's the the church in the centre of town, the Methodist church just across from the oh, garden okay. station. Oh, yes. So we took over that building and turned it into a gallery space. And it was so successful. That was it. I knew we were going to continue doing this and growing it. So in 2018, it turned into the Roscommon Fibre Art Festival. And again, the council supported us. 
the local enterprise supported it, the arts office supported it, the arts council supported it, and Culture Ireland supported it, and Creative Ireland. So we had a huge um, festival in Roscommon in 2018, where I invited um, artists from all around the world that I had met at other exhibitions to come to Roscommon. And um, we had a huge exhibition called Interconnections in King House and Boyle. And I invited an installation from Toronto to come and the council exhibited that on their display wall in the county council building, the new county council building. And we had a symposium where we had the director of the um, European Tapestry Alliance from Denmark came and gave a speech at our symposium. And we had um, workshops for over two days. Um, they were master classes because I wanted to aim it at weavers, not beginners, because a lot of us do beginners classes anyway. But established weavers never get the opportunity to learn new things from master weavers. So that was my idea around that. It was so successful that the 2020 was meant to bring it to the next level, <laughs> which was um, joining with Galway 2020 for their International City of Culture Festival. And as I said, that didn't happen. So at the moment, I'm organizing the 2022 one. It's a Biennale, so we only do it every two years. Mm. And um, lots of plans afoot for that, which I can share with you now if you'd like to hear them. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so in May 2022, um, we will open Interconnections 4 in Roscommon Arts Centre in the beautiful new gallery space that they have there. That exhibition will then tour to the UK and be in the gallery of Western Park in Shropshire. And we're looking for a third venue for it at the moment in Edinburgh. I can't give you any details of that yet till we're signed oh, off of on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's going to happen in May, in April, end of April, beginning of May 2022. And we hope to have lots of events around it for textile lovers, weavers, felt makers, um, anybody who works with their hands making will love this festival. Brilliant. Well, we will be there yeah, with our microphones. I'm just good, thinking, good, I want to get, I'll get the weekend off. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep in touch with you about uh, the details of it as we draw do. closer to that time. Absolutely. Please do. Yes, we'll share them on all the social media. Thanks. That's great. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering how, so you talked there about you know, the pandemic getting in the way of 2020 being mm. the year for mm. this festival and a very important one. Um, how else has the pandemic affected you, either positively or negatively? Well, um, I had been very, very busy coming up to March of 2020. Too busy, really. I was involved in a lot of different projects, um, mainly around teaching skills, passing on knowledge, talking at... Um, different events and so on. So I was always on the go and trying to find that time in my studio to myself as well. And then I was just completing, um, uh, what would you call it, a creative engagement project in FIBA National School. Misha, I think you yeah, knew about that. Yeah, I was that. working on a video for them, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I literally, I think it was like the Tuesday I finished in that school and then Leo Varadkar announced the shutdown of the country on the Thursday. Yeah. So I was kind of in a bit of shock like everybody else was. But I was really relieved and delighted that it had all come to an end, all that silly madness of rushing and racing around the place. So the sun was shining all through April and I had all this time to myself. Nobody was moving. And I was sitting in the studio every day trying to think, well, what am I going to do now, you know? What's, what's influencing me now? How am I going to work in this mm. pandemic? And um, I couldn't motivate myself to come up with ideas for new work. So I began to research Navajo weaving techniques, and I taught myself how to weave in the Navajo style. And then I realized that all of the symbolism in Navajo weaving was about good health, safe travel, and a long life. 
all of the things that were relevant to the pandemic. So I didn't know that before I started researching Navajo weaving, you know. And so that was a starting point for me. And I began to make work around what was happening to do with the pandemic and lockdown. So after I wove the first Navajo rug, um, I, I named them. So on the top, I put my name and the year and I called that one phase zero. I didn't know we were in phase zero, but one day someone said this is phase zero. So I put zero on the top of it. And then phase one, I wove um, using the similar techniques and symbolism. But in the center of it was the face of a nurse with the mask on her and the globe woven into the mask. So yeah. that was the phase one tapestry. And that tapestry is all about celebrating frontline workers in healthcare, which has now been purchased by the Galway Clinic and hangs over their main doorway. So Brilliant. that was a big congratulations. Thank you. That was a big coup for me. What a great place um, to have it as well. Absolutely. Yeah, ideal spot for it. Yeah, that happens occasionally. You know, about once every ten years that <laughs> you get a good sale for a piece in the right place. So the second one then was influenced by George Floyd's murder in America and the Black Lives Matter movement and all the conversation around white lives and all lives and the hashtags to do with that. So that piece is a reaction to all that was going on in, I think it was July of last year, if I remember rightly. And that one has a symbol of a love heart on the mask just to say it's about love of all nations and love in general is all the world needs and that's what that tapestry is about i have that hanging in my studio here and that then led because i was an art teacher for 30 years um i was watching how the reopening of schools was going you know and how parents were managing to teach at home so my third piece in the pandemic series is a tribute to frontline workers in education. Um, and that piece is finished now and the central panel in that, sorry, I had to look because I forgot there for a minute, is a superhero symbol, the symbol of a superhero. Because I'm saying that all educators are superheroes, whether it's a mother or a father or a child or a teacher, you know, we're all teachers anyway. We're all learning from one another. That's what that piece is about. And then I thought, right, well, I can't keep doing this. Uh, but I am, because the one I'm doing now is uh, either going to be called Love in the Pandemic or Honeysuckle. I'm going between the two, because we have a lot of honeysuckle growing in this garden, and it's just out now at the moment, and the smell is just wafts through the air Gorgeous. as you walk out in the evening. So I have um, couples who can are back to back or facing each other but they have peaked caps on them so they can't touch and then in the second section i have a kiss but the kiss has uh, masks on it so they're still not really kissing and then the piece i'm weaving at the moment is um based on um a renee magritte image of um two people kissing but they have towels over their faces so that's the part of the weaving i'm working on at the moment but it's all interlaced with honeysuckle. So it's like hope, hope for the future and beautiful bright colors. And I feel like I've moved out of that kind of uh, frontline worker thing now. I'm going more out into nature and people re-emerging, I guess, from lockdown and going out into nature again. Great. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, you talked there about um, studying Navajo technique. That it, Navajo. It right? it, it's a, Navajo. American Indian. Yeah. Okay. What does this look like? Okay. It features? looks like um, they would have woven blankets and um, it was around the time when they would have been put into reservations um, and kept, you know, apart from the Americans that were taking the land off of them, basically. Um, and they kept their tradition of weaving with them, even when they were um, held in their camps. And there's the, the long march where they had to walk across um, Northern America and uh, soak 
the symbols they use are hard edge symbols, not really the way I weave. I weave very fluidly and kind of loose lines. But I, I forced myself to do this, to learn something new, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. So they're shapes, they're like um, chevron shapes and uh, beautiful colours, like natural dyed colours, oranges and reds and uh, browns and creams, that would be the colour of it. So they would weave the blankets that they'd wear then while they'd be walking on these marches. And sometimes rugs or floor rugs, but they, they weren't really weaving those things, they were weaving something to keep them warm, you know. And uh, yeah, that's what Navajo weaving looks like. Lovely. You talk about almost when you get stuck, you look to a new technique and it mightn't be, it mightn't feel natural to you, but you work really hard to get used to that new technique. Is that something you do when you get stuck? And if, if not, is there anything you do when you get stuck? And when I say stuck, I mean, just nothing's coming yeah. to you, no ideas. Yeah. Well, you know, because it's so slow, while I'm weaving the piece I'm working on, I'm actually thinking about the next one, you know? Okay, fair. Because <laughs> I've resolved all the issues around the piece I'm working on now. All I have to do now is make it. So yeah. while I'm making it, there's that solitary confinement thing. So my brain begins to think about whatever I want to do next. And I'm ready then to go. It was just, I think, during the initial lockdown, I was stuck. <laughs> stuck because I really liked doing nothing for a while. I just really liked oh, yeah. sitting in the garden, soaking up the sun. And I used to feel guilty about not working, as in not making all the time every day. I don't anymore. But all artists get stuck and you have to accept it. You just have to take the break and rest and relax and it comes back then. I know a lot of artist friends of mine, you could go through months, could be six months or more, even a year, where you feel, oh my God, I'm never going to paint again. I'm done with that. And then it comes back in a rush to you and you've so much to paint about or write about or weave about in my case. Lovely. Um, I'm just wondering, because it's a common trait among creative people or artists, do you find the practical and technical side of what you do may be a bit more challenging than the free-flowing creative side of what you do like do you find maybe scheduling or keeping on top of accounts would you find that to be not not suitable to the way your brain works accounts you said is it yeah, oh, I'm just I, I just hand that over to the accountant. I wouldn't go near it. I, that okay. would razzle my head. I couldn't even think about it. Yeah. I just stick all the receipts in a box and let him deal with it. Um, yeah, no, I couldn't do that at all. Uh, I wouldn't even yeah. let myself uh, attempt it. Even putting the receipts into a box is enough to stress me out. <laughs> no, I couldn't do that. Um, there's certain things that don't work for me and the mathematical side of the brain definitely wouldn't be developed yeah, at I'm all. I'm the same, yeah. And mm -hmm. I just accept it. That's not yeah. a problem, you know, just keep going with the bit that that is developed. Um, but sorry, what else, what, did, what was the question? Uh, no, that, that, was, that was it basically, okay. I was just wondering because you know, like when you're when you're an artist you're essentially managing your own business oh and there's yeah so oh, much yeah. more to mean. being an artist than just well it is very difficult things. because you have to make the work you have to try and sell the work you have to exhibit it so you're dealing with a lot of different things and um, now that we have this huge online presence you have to photograph film upload keep on top of social media now, I found social media great help to me because at one point I did think I was the only uh, crazy person in the world sitting in a studio weaving for one piece over a year. And through social media, Instagram and Facebook, I found a whole world of people out there uh, who do the same thing as me. Mm -hmm. And I have connected in with a lot of them. In fact, I've gone and visited a load of them. I, I am a big traveller. Well, I was. I don't know what I'm going to do now from now on. but. I, I, whenever I go to a new country, I find the weaver that I had been following on Facebook or Instagram and visit them. 
amazing. actually call to their house, knock on the door. And then more than likely, in all cases, in fact, I've become firm friends with all these people all around the world. And I discovered that we're all the same. We're all exactly the same. We're just looking for an opportunity to meet someone else like us. That's why I never have a problem inviting a weaver to come to Roscommon to show their work. They're delighted because that's what I love to do, be invited to another country to show my work and talk about my work. So I realised, sure, we're all in the same boat. You also mentioned earlier when you were talking about the Fibre Art Festival that it was almost more difficult for weavers to get their spot in the gallery's exhibition than it would be for people who work in other mediums. So do you think staying connected with other weavers is important in sort of... Do you think it's important to stay connected because your medium is almost less regarded than other mediums? Yeah. Um, it, it's a very tricky one to talk about, you know, because um, there is that feeling from curators and galleries that it is less regarded than painting or sculpture, for example. Um, and I think that's the reason why some of the big fibre art festivals around the world call themselves that you know it's not it's not for painters it's for people who work with fibers and materials and wools um the biggest one i've been involved in is the Lausanne to beijing uh, chinese fiber art festival so i've had work in two of their shows and i've traveled over there to be present at the opening ceremony um, now that was a big deal for me and when I went there and met other uh, tapestry weavers from around the world that's where the idea for the Roscommon Fibre Art Festival was born because even though China does it, everything on a grand scale I realised we could do it the same on a small scale you know to grow this festival that uh, I'm working on now so that was how that idea came about but yeah I think uh, for us to be connected is very 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 important because we all have work rolled up in our studios that took years to make that have never been seen. So it's just to give people that opportunity to showcase their work, really. Now, years ago, um, architects and interior designers were very interested in tapestry as a medium to decorate, you know, maybe a hotel lobby or um, a large space because it works very well for insulation and sound optics, you know, having wool on a wall. Um, but they're, they're not interested at the moment. It comes and goes. It's a fashionable thing, you know. It's not fashionable at the moment. Uh, although some people say they feel it is coming back now that the world has become so technologically based and, um, you know, the feng shui look to everything and the limited, um, you know, everything being empty. Is, is the norm now for design, for interior design. But that will change, you know. It'll come back around again, I have no doubt. And we'll be ready. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you are so, you're so adaptable with your work as well. You know, by the sounds of it, you're always moving with the times and the work you make is so relevant. And that's, that's a really great thing. Um, you talked earlier about being in you know working on different techniques and styles so i just i'd love to ask are there any styles that you really like and you either adopt into your um your style of weaving and are there any techniques that you don't like um i think i've developed my own style really to be honest now at this stage and it's very loose you know i i wouldn't restrict myself in any way and uh, I wouldn't be too caught up on techniques even, to be honest, uh, whatever works. So if I have done a design that's very loose and flowy, that's the way I will weave. If it's hard edge shapes, that's what I'll weave, you know. So it all comes back to the starting point, which is the design. Um, and even that I would be pretty fluid about. I wouldn't, you know, I change it as I go along. I have the drawing and if, as I'm weaving something, if I need to change, I'll change. Unlike a painting where you can paint over or rub something out, you can't do that with weaving. Once it's woven, it's there and you build up from the bottom to the top. 
So if mistakes are made, okay, you could rip out, but I never do that. I just take it. It's what I do. It's part of me, a little mistake somewhere. So that's no problem. You know, it's like your imprint in something. I don't mind about things like that. I'd be very, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't give myself a hard time about a little bit of a crooked edge or something. I think that adds to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. More character, absolutely. <laughs> Francis, what are the, the limitations and freedoms to weaving? The limitations? Um, yeah, it's very limited, actually. It, 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 the, it, the technique is a simple structure of warp and weft, and that's what you're left with. And you have to weave from the bottom up. You can't start filling in a bit up at the top and then going back to the bottom to do something. Um, so you do need to know, you need to learn the basic techniques before you can move on. But the, um, what was the other one, the limitations and the... Freedoms. The freedoms. That's personal because you can be as free as you want. I think people are afraid of it because it is very limiting or it appears to be very limiting and people are afraid to make mistakes or to do something wrong and that's why not a lot of people do it. Um, but I find it, there's huge freedom in it. I, you can, as far as I'd be concerned, you can do whatever you like. I had a tapestry weaver from the States visit me here one day and she said, um, well, she was on holiday in Ireland and she came to visit me. A few, a, a lot of people do that. Um, that she was amazed by the scale, the size of the work I do because she works like in within an A4 frame, you know, always just that size. And to me, that's very limiting. I couldn't bear that. I'd have to be working bigger. It's very physical. Yeah, you, you need energy and. A lot of people would say, well, do you get a sore back or stiff neck? No, thank God. I must be very fit in that regard because I could sit for six hours working on one small area. And I mean, it doesn't affect me physically at all. Um, but some people would have a problem with that, I think. You just get really stiff and it's, it's hard to do if your body isn't up to the challenge, as well as your hands and your mind. But would you have any advice for someone wanting to either invest more time in being a creative artist, a creative visual artist, or indeed someone who wanted to get into weaving in the way that you do it? Yeah, I think um, if you're, if it's in you, it will come out. You know, if you're passionate about something, you're going to do it anyway. And my advice would always be to do what you love, whatever that is in your life. And if you are a creative person, you can't stop yourself from being creative. So whatever that creativity is, you know, it could be looking and seeing or writing or drawing or you're going to do it anyway. And I don't think anyone should stop themselves or sh stop a child from doing that. Um, the frustration would build up within your body anyway, and you would have to release it somehow. So. I think we're all creative beings. Uh, all you need to do is put materials in front of people and they're going to do something with them if you're a creative person. Now, in weaving, it's a bit different, I guess, than painting because if you're painting, you can just use your materials and put them on a canvas or a page. But you do need to learn certain things with weaving or you're wasting your time, you know, and, and you would become very frustrated. So you would have to learn. So if somebody was interested in weaving, they would have to find either a one-to-one -one tutor to work with or go to one of these schools, like I mentioned, the Grennan Mill Craft School in Thomastown in Kilkenny. They run a course in weaving and tapestry weaving that I would recommend. Francis, could you talk to us a bit about the work that you do with students and young people and what you get out of that? Yeah. Well, every year I tell myself and everybody else I'm retired now from teaching. I'm not going to teach anybody anything anymore. And then I just need to do it. So someone will contact me, they have an idea for a project and they want me to come on board and I do it. Now, the going into schools bit, I might stop doing that now. Um, I, I do love children and I love um, the transmission of knowledge to watch a child 
understand something you've said and do it and love it. I love that. I get great uh, satisfaction from teaching and seeing a child or an adult learn a technique or something that, like, for example, you could have 20 children in the class and immediately half of them will get what you say and the others will struggle, but you'll teach them eventually. But it's that thing that those ones who get it immediately, I just think that's just brilliant. Anyway, um, where is I going with that? Yeah. So now uh, I've, I've taken on a new project, um, which I could talk briefly about now, if you like. Absolutely. It hasn't started yet. It's still in the making, but it's going to be fantastic. So I'm going to be the lead facilitator on um, a project called the Thorn Tapestry. The Thorn Tapestry is going to be made um, in five sections over five counties over five months. So wow. I'm the lead facilitator for the Roscommon one. There will be a section made in Longford, a section made in Westmeath, in Meath and in Louth. So we'll be working together. So I, I'm really excited now about this one because it's new, it's different, it's interesting. It's over five counties. It involves a lot of people. And um, it's about the Thorn March. You know, the um, I'll be linking in with the Tulsk Rathcrohan Visitor Centre and we'll be getting a lot of information from them. So I'll be able to tell you more about that as the months go on, if you're interested. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just starting Brilliant. that. That's so exciting. Great. Wow. Can't wait to hear more. Um, I suppose we're coming near to enough to the end now. Um, and we got this question in from Instagram. And it's, it's quite a, a personal question and it's unusual. Uh, someone wants to know, what is unique about raising a child as an artist? What is unique? Is it? About raising a child as an artist. Well, so, I think I mentioned earlier that... It's the freedom of allowing the child to make, do, draw, run, jump, whatever they want to do. The artist is, we're all artists really, if we were given a chance to be creative, I think. And I have met some young children over the years. I used to do summer camps here in my own studio. Um, and the parents would say, she's very good at art. Uh, what will I do next? And I just say, well, just buy her loads of crayons and pencils and pens and give her loads of materials and time to do it. Mm. And like, I personally don't understand the problem with making a mess. You know, that's part of yeah. the thing. <laughs> Be dirty and um, messy and use your hands to put the paint on the paper or the canvas or whatever it is. So you need to set up a space. You need to leave children be creative. You need to buy them loads of materials don't tell them to stay inside the line and all that you know stuff we know that you don't do that now and raising a child uh, to be creative or to be an artist i'd say just support them all the way along whatever they want to do be there for them and uh, help them if they want to go to a summer camp or a class yeah if you can afford it let them go or if you can't just let them i don't know dig a hole and make clay and start making their own pottery out of the clay in the garden. There's so much around us we can use, pick flowers and stick them onto a page, just get loads of Pritt stick and PVA glue and have materials in your house and let the children use them. I don't know if that answers that question. Absolutely. No, it does beautifully. That's perfect. And I actually think that's a good way to, to wrap things up, yeah. Francis. So <laughs> Great. thank you again so much for imparting so much wisdom oh, on us. It's so inspired. Thanks very much. One day we must come down now. Thank you. Not at all. Thank you. One day we must come down now with the microphones to the studio. Oh yeah, welcome anytime. Describe things. Absolutely. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much, Francis. Okay. Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Nisha. Best of luck. you have it that was the wonderful Frances Crow thank you again to Frances for making time in her busy schedule to join us for a chat you can keep up with Frances on our website franciscrow.com where you can find more updates on the Tawn Tapestry or where her new work Love in the Time of the Pandemic will be exhibited you can find our podcast In Fairness on Acast, Spotify and iTunes make sure to tune in next week where we chat to Bridget Kavanagh who is a poet and a writer you can hear more from us and our interviewees on our Instagram at Pod, same on Twitter and Podcast on Facebook. 
feel free to get in touch with us as always if you have any questions or suggestions. Thank you again to Roscommon County Council for helping us create this series and to our wonderful mentor Catherine Sheridan for helping us along the way. You've been listening to In Fairness Inquire Roscommon Artists. Research, questions and producing by Molly Mew. Sound engineering, editing, producing by Misha Fitzgibbon. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye.